Hear that? Believe it or not, summer is just around the corner. Luckily, Armorall, America's most trusted auto appearance brand, has what your car needs to get that perfect summer shine. Plus, now through May 31st, we'll give you $5 for every 20 you spend on Armorall products. That means car wash pods, protectant, tire shine, you name it. Find out how to get your $5 rebate at armorall.com. Armorall, less work, more clean. Terms apply. Welcome to the 5 o'clock show. It's time for common sense. Now, it's Cats and Cosby with John Katsimatidis and Rita Cosby standing for truth, justice, and the American way. Bringing common sense to the world. Now, here's John Katsimatidis and Rita Cosby. And welcome to Cats and Cosby, TGIF. Wow, what a week it has been. Uh, the great John Katsimatidis is off today, and we have an action-packed show for sure. Uh, coming up, we're going to be talking to Senator Al D'Amato in just a few minutes uh, on Alvin Bragg. You definitely don't want to miss that. Lieutenant Colonel Tony Schaefer is going to be coming up with some new details on how a 21-year-old guardsman was able to get some of the most sensitive information uh, in the Defense Department. Larry Kudlow's coming up. Also, former Border Chief Mark Morgan Peter Mihalos with some stunning details on masks and COVID. You definitely don't want to miss that. And also, we have former Energy Secretary Rick Perry talking about electric vehicles. There is no way it's going to make the Biden administration criteria for 2035. No way. We're going to talk about that and more. And joining us on this great Friday show, we have an awesome group here in the studio. We have the great Judge Richard Weinberg. We also have Tony Carbonetti, former chief of staff to the greatest mayor, Rudy Giuliani. And also, we have to say the greatest governor ever, of course, and our good friend (laughs) who has the best jokes in town, Governor David Patterson. Uh, You know, let me start with you, by the way, uh, Judge Weinberg. This is amazing. Trump testified seven hours yesterday. This is before Letitia James. I kind of thought, could Biden handle seven minutes? But go ahead. Your thoughts on that? Well, I hope he had good legal advice because I don't know why he uh, was so forthcoming. His testimony to testify seven hours. I would have tried to keep a, a lock on it because he has he's facing serious charges from from Bragg in a hostile uh, environment here in Manhattan and anything he said in this deposition, Canada will be using against him or prior inconsistent statements, certainly. And he's not exactly precise in his language. So you have to be very careful about that. If I was defense counsel, I would have uh, buttoned him up. What do you think, Tony Carbonet? Has the state constitution actually been amended where each prosecutor must go after Trump? <laughs> is, it actually, is it a requirement now? <laughs> Gov, is there anybody left out that hasn't got after him yet? Uh, Eric Gonzalez from uh, Kings County. He has not brought uh, former President Trump up on any charges, as far as I know. By the way, you, ha- you could tell the Gov had to think about it, right? It's definitely all their platform as they're running for office. It's definitely part of the, the talking points. Well, it was definitely one of Bragg's talking points. And, and, the and, up- and Letitia. And Letitia James. The other thing, too, also, Tony Carbonetti, is we also saw E. Jean Carroll. This is the case. This is the woman who says that Trump assaulted her, raped her, she claims, at Bergdorf's in the mid-1990s. It's come out, according to the Trump team, that her attorney is basically Reed Hoffman, or the person who's backing, rather, I should say, her legal fees, Reed Hoffman, the founder of LinkedIn. He is a Democratic mega donor. 
and they say, we got to delay the trial. This looks bad. What are your thoughts? Because I think it's actually an interesting ground. Well, again, anyone that anyone that claims they were raped obviously needs to be heard and, and that needs to play 1, itself that needs to play itself out. But to come over so many years later um, and, and wait for him to become, you know, president or after the fact, you know, always lends, uh, takes away from the credibility, let's say. Judge okay. Weinberg? But, uh, listen, I have no idea what the merits are of those allegations, but I do know, to my mind, it raises a serious issue is being funded by a extreme Democratic donor to move this case along that raises real questions about what the motivations are. Governor, what do you think? Yeah, real quick, Ev. I think that, you know, basically one of the reasons people don't come forward is because they don't have the resources to take on, uh, a, you know, a major person. And so let's leave President Trump out of it for a minute and just notice that, you know, if she got help from a source, it would obviously be a source uh, that was – uh, you know, in some respects, political, because anything that involves President Trump is going to be a political case. I don't have as much of a problem with it because, uh, you know, in, in other words, he's not paying to change her testimony or anything. It's the same testimony, hopefully. But he's a mega donor and he's a well-known mega donor. As soon as I saw the name, I knew exactly. It's like saying Soros is paying for it. I mean, different people, but but still, uh, what do you say real quick of? That he uh, can donate to her. There's nothing wrong with it. All right. Well, let's bring in our next guest to talk about this, see if they agree with the gov on this. Uh, joining us now is the great Senator Al D'Amato, the greatest senator New York has ever had. We're glad to have you here, Senator. This is Rita Cosby with a great full studio here. Thank you for being with us. Well, it's great to be on with you. And I didn't think I would talk on this subject matter that you just brought up. But let me tell you, listen to Judge Weinberg. This case has more to it than you think. And the fact of the matter is that it's being held in front of one of the most esteemed judges, a federal judge, uh, that we have. And he has indicated that he is going to keep the jury uh, anonymous keep him from the public, etc. He's already made some rulings on this case, and this case should not be taken for granted. The Trump people will do everything they possibly can, and I think the potential here is one uh, that could really, really stick. And um, you know, you could say all you want, well, why did you bring in that? Judge Weinberg, he just, he hit on it. And let's look at the facts. Yeah, and and, but, and by the way, I, I want to, go ahead. Yeah, real quick, Judge Weinberg, you got a question. No, no, here. I want to hear what, uh, go uh, ahead. I want to hear Demato, Senator DeMato. If there are witnesses, let's ascertain if there are any statements that, uh, the former president that Trump made that may corroborate what uh, this claimant uh, has uh, put forth. And uh, I think just from what I've learned that uh, this is not one of those brag cases where there's nothing with nothing, um, but may be much more powerful 
than meets the eye. Well, and everybody, um, and by the way, D'Amato is talking about E. Jean Carroll. I think you are about that case, which is uh, interesting. Right. Yeah. Before, I, I want to get well, you also the to. Case that you were talking about. Absolutely. By the way, you know how much we know you. We know you can always chime in because you always you're, you are so great on this stuff. Um, Senator, I want to get you also on the Bragg stuff because I don't know if you saw this, Senator D'Amato. Al, uh, Alvin Bragg's office just put out a statement a little bit ago. Of course, the big hearings are going to start next week. Um, they're going to be talking about crime, of course, in New York, basically saying why isn't Alvin Bragg focusing on repeat offenders and criminals and all that stuff, right. and he's focusing on Trump. This is what Bragg's office uh, just put out. Quote, don't be fooled. The House GOP is coming to the safest big city in America for a political stunt. Uh, what's your reaction, great, to Senator Aldamato? It doesn't take away any statement that his office makes that he has been relaxed, uh, that at one point he charges the poor guy who was attacked in the deli uh, or, or with attempted murder. I, I, I mean, incredible when the guy himself was attacked and almost died. Um, just, just amazing. And, and he lets criminals out, uh, uh, doesn't hold them on bail uh, when he can. Um, just um, he is a disgrace. And to spend the time, the energy and the money that he did to go after Trump, and with that best is a shaky, shaky case. And it takes him so long. And his predecessor, who was a great district attorney, Cyrus Vance, refuses to go after him. This is just nonsense. He is a political hatchet man, and and he de- deserves the disrespect that the community whole at large holds him in. And if the ultra-left wing wants to keep him in there as the chief law enforcement officer of Manhattan, then they deserve all of the nonsense and the crime that I, they are getting. And, and they are getting... And we are losing the very people that we want to keep, working people, uh, people who are successful, uh, people who would ordinarily want to build a career in New York are leaving. And they're going down south. They're going to other states, not just Florida, but they're going to Tennessee, South Carolina, Texas, etc., and moving out because of the crime epidemic of Bragg. But make no mistake about this, that this case that is pending against Trump is real. And and don't just say, well, we've got a Democratic lawyer who's got a lot of money, you know, who is uh, who is bringing this case. Look at the merits of the case first. Don't jump. OK. And uh, by the way, uh, Governor Patterson's got a question for you, Senator D'Amato. So, Senator, uh, I completely I completely agree with you about that. This is a, a, a far more difficult case for the former We're president. About the alleged rape case. Yes, yes, exactly. Okay. Exactly. Uh, what I would say about the, uh, the the case in the Manhattan D.A.'s office is that yeah. I don't if, if, if it, I don't understand how uh President Trump did not pay for sex. When the woman came back and threatened to out him, whether it happened or not, he had the right to protect himself and pay and, and pay her off and, and uh, 
outside of that, that's known as a settlement. In other yeah. words, and, and neither party is allowed supposed to talk about it anymore. I don't know how you can weave a settlement into a felony. You're talking about the Bragg case. Uh, go yes. ahead, Senator. Yeah. Well, you're, you're 110% right. And, and you didn't go to law school, but you just spelled that out better than any attorney. Uh, um, and, 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 and that's why the former district attorney, Cy Vance, a great district attorney, did not bring charges. And he studied the case. But Mr. Bragg, who campaigned on, I'll get Trump, he brings the case and he trumps up charges. Ridiculous. Absolutely ridiculous. Now, here's another case that comes, a civil case. And let me tell you something. This case may have some teeth to it. If indeed there are corroborations, corroboration, if indeed they're able to prove a pattern if indeed he has made statements or indicated that he may have had something, uh, etc., uh, and you have witnesses to that effect, he may have, and don't forget, this is not criminal. This is a civil case. He may face one heck of a tough situation, and it may cost him a lot of money. And, and, and Senator... It cost him a lot of political capital. Real quick, Senator, real Senator quick. the only thing you left out is the difference between a criminal case and a civil case is a civil case is won by a preponderance of the evidence. It doesn't have to right. mean that you get every juror. Absolutely. A and majority that's... of the jury as opposed to unanimous. All right. And, Senator, thank you so much. You are terrific talking about so many of these cases. We always love having you here on the show, the great Senator Al D'Amato. Thank you so much. My pleasure. Great being with you, and have a great weekend. You too, my friend, the great Al D'Amato. Well, by the way, the other thing, of course, making big headlines today is the fact that this 21-year-old National Guardsman has now been charged two counts, as we were just talking earlier, uh, Judge Weinberg, two federal charges coming uh, these are the uh, ones from the courts, but not the military courts. It's interesting. Um, but now talking about this and the damage to U.S. national security and international security is Lieutenant Colonel Tony Schaefer. Uh, he is president of the London Center for Policy Research, former intel officer. Tony, your reaction, first of all, uh, I say throw the book at this guy. Well, throw the book, but there's some missing pieces here. There's no way a 21-year-old would easily uh, end up with a uh, joint uh, chief of of staff briefing, which contains significant operational details of intelligence collection, of troop levels, both sides, of losses, and the acknowledgement that we have troops on the ground, which was a highly kept secret for any number of reasons. So, yeah, the guy was appears to be guilty. I don't want to judge it till it's done. But as you point out, Rita, there's some real peculiarities here. First off, everybody knew this came from DOD, the Pentagon, early on. Yet somehow DOJ, the FBI, comes in to investigate. And uh, I know uh, I personally started as an Army counterintelligence special agent. So I know DOD has adequate and effective investigative uh, elements within its own ranks. So uh, it's really strange that you'd have DOJ come into this. That's a red flag. Secondly, just look at how everything's been orchestrated the last few days. Uh, they actually did the video capture. Uh, the local law and local media were able to videotape the guy being taken down by the FBI. That's another red flag. Someone is leaking all of this. Someone's trying to portray this as the big thing. 
what they're getting us to look at is not what we should be looking at. We should be looking at is how those briefing slides ended up in the hands of a of a 21-year-old who should not have a high clearance in, in Massachusetts. Something is really stinky about this, and, and we need to be looking at what they don't want us to look at is how did those briefing slides end up in, in his hands. And Tony Carbonetti, you got a question for Lieutenant Colonel Tony Schaefer. Yeah, C- Colonel, I mean, you're, you're absolutely right. I mean, yeah. uh, basic cybersecurity dictates that there is a chain of who needs to know what, and right. there's no way the guy that orders coffee and paper clips needs, you, you know, access to sensitive material. And there's, there's technology that walls these things off. I, I've seen, I'm far from a cyber expert. Okay, but I've seen these things that, you know, all the banks have them, right? The guy that orders the paper clips and coffee doesn't have access to the credit card data. I like to think and hope the Pentagon is similar. So, yeah, it is. Look, I used to have to both uh, provide inputs on briefings like this. I would have to go in and brief seniors on operations I was running. And to your point, we would process it on on automated systems, but they were air-gapped. They were not tied to a network. And each copy was accounted for. In some cases, I would And you know when in. someone reads it, right? So you know when someone right. opens no, it. No, we had bigot lists. Uh, that Basically, that was the list of those who could have access. We would walk it in. They would read it. They would sign that they've read it, and I would walk it back out. We would tightly, very tightly control data, especially operational yeah. data like this. So it, it, it's beyond the pale. One of two things are, are true here. Either the, the state of security at the Biden Pentagon is so lax that they've given up all hope of trying to control critical information, or there's something else going on where someone in between this kid and senior leadership gave him those slides because that's what we're missing. We're missing wow. really component of oh. how that, that slide, those slides got to that kid. Wow. Well, so much to look into. Uh, Lieutenant Colonel Tony Schaefer, uh, wow, we got to get to the bottom of this on so many different levels. Thanks for being here on Cats and Cosby, Tony. We love you. Sure. Always good to be on. Thanks. Thank you very much. And everybody stay with us. We got a lot more ahead. The great Larry Kudlow is coming up after the break. He's going to give us the latest on the markets and a lot more. It's a common sense recap of the big stories. It's Cats and Cosby on 77 WABC. You're commuting home with Katz and Cosby. Now, here's John Katz and Rita Cosby on 77 WABC. And welcome back to Katz and Cosby. Joining us now is the great Larry Kudlow, of course, host of the big top show there on Fox Business. Also on WABC Radio on the weekend. We always listen to your show there. You are awesome, Larry. And I saw that the market dropped slightly today. Um, how do you read where things are headed, especially with all this EV stuff? You were talking a lot about that this week, too, Larry. Yeah, you know, um, if the if the EPA and the Biden administration, if they want to really get rid of the internal combustion engine and all gas-powered automobiles, they ought to take a vote. One of the houses, if they want to repeal 150 years of technology, somebody ought to vote on it. That's the most ridiculous thing that's happened uh, in the name of climate change, which, by the way, uh, they will not cut emissions overall. Because if you increase electricity and you mine for the minerals, for the batteries and so forth, you'll be increasing uh, carbon. So on balance, you're not going to get any break on carbon. What you would be doing is uh, completely taking over the car business, 
which is America's fifth largest business. You'd be ending the internal combustion engine, which, as I said, someone should have gone on it. And by the way, you'd be completely destroying the fossil fuel business, which no one's voted on that either. So this is regulatory overreach, extremely damaging to the whole country, uh, not to speak of the economy. And maybe the bottom line here is consumers don't want it. They want choice. You can't jam an electric car down their throats. You know, um, also, speaking of sort of woke policies, I'm sure you saw this, Larry uh, Kudlow, that Anheuser-Busch lost $5 billion in value when they tried to have, it was Dylan Mulvaney do the Bud Light controversy. There was sort of a statement today from Anheuser-Busch that sort of made it sound like, we're listening to our audience. I think they realized they heard it loud and clear. Right, Larry? Yeah, well, go woke, go broke. Uh, Some of these companies are doing very strange things when it comes to their marketing and their customer base. Uh, I I don't want to dig into it too much, but I would just say this whole boardroom wokeness that we see from a lot of companies that should know better is costing them. I mean, the experience is they are losing customers and they are losing money. Yeah, big time. Um, Go ahead, Larry, it's Tony Carbonetti. What what I worry about is, you know, you have now these pension funds and the retirement funds of of some of the states that are trying to do the, you know, ESG. And look, their job is to make money to pay the retirees. It's not to be some woke arbiter. And, you know, if they don't hit their targets, it's more tax money that has to go be put in to pay their shortfalls. Yeah, well, yeah, yes, uh, maybe lower return. I mean, I'm old fashioned. I mean, I think that if you go back a long time, Tony Carbonetti, even more, I believe this even dates you if such Uh-oh. a thing is possible. <laughs> but in the mid 1970s, former Senator, the late Jacob Javits, remember that name? Absolutely. The old liberal Republican in New York. Uh, Senator Javits piloted uh, what's now called ERISA. And the ERISA bill contained clear legal stipulation that investments should be done on the basis of the highest compounded rate of return. That's how it should be done, not That's on the basis of social considerations or environmental or climate considerations uh, or other what we call woke today. I mean, you know, Jack Javits had it right. And that was a long time ago. People should go back and, you know, read the notes accompanying that legislation. So you're right about the pension funds. I think some of them are learning their lesson yep. uh, because the ESG did so badly. Um, but who knows? I mean, some of these left-wing blue states will never learn their lesson. Like, for example, this one. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> Judge Weinberg, you got a question for the great Larry Kudlow. And in that regard, Larry, you know, the, the drain of the New York population in the last year, in the last 10 years, we're losing the most productive taxpaying people, people who pay for all the social programs, the charities that they support, the cultural institutions. They're flowing out. We had uh, Governor Yonkin on yesterday. He says, come on down to Virginia. Oh, you have people flowing into the Carolinas, into Florida, into Texas. We're losing the most productive and the best people, and we're not replacing them with uh, quality substitutions. What do you say about that? These are 
Tony's political friends. <laughs> we'll blame Tony. Uh, these are, I don't know if Governor Patterson is there today or not. The, the gov is here. He's ready. These are He's chiming in. These are these his are the friends. I complain about. Right. Well, point these at him. Are, these are all Governor Patterson's friends. These are all Deputy Mayor Carbonetti's friends. These are not my friends. This is not my crowd. You know Larry, what I mean? I, I come from a completely different crowd. So Larry, I'm, you know I'm what? I'm not taking the rap for this. Larry, you know what's, Larry what I great. think is, what I think is interesting, Larry, is that. Yeah, these are the judges' friends. No, no, no. I'm the common sense Democrat, Larry. You know oh, that. You don't let politicians run the economy. Nothing good happens. You know, Larry. All the, common, all the common sense Democrats are down in the Carolinas. Oh, well, the governor wants to defend himself. Time. Here, Larry. This is got better. You know, Larry, <laughs> I think the problem with these major corporations is that they invested in these ESG products to avoid the issue that they don't want to address, which is that the diversity and, and equity in their companies is far imbalanced. But they didn't mm-hmm. want to lose any money themselves, so they just decided to use other people's money that um, you know has failed in a lot of areas. But there was a lot easier way to create an equity in that in that field well look i suppose so i i don't uh my view will always be uh i am opposed to affirmative action i am in favor of merit yes i don't care whether it's colleges uh, prep schools uh corporations uh radio stations television companies i don't care i just think um in america we want to reward success and this Biden crowd wants to punish success any way they can. In fact, they're not even interested in success. They're interested in diversity and equity and inclusion and whatever all that stuff means. And I think it's wrong. And I think it's harming the country. And I think it needs to be replaced as soon as possible. Here, here. All right. Well, Larry Kudlow, we love you. Speaking of success, uh, you're hitting it out of the park there on Fox Business. Also on WABC, 10 to 1 on Saturdays tomorrow. We'll be tuning in. Larry, thank you. Have a great weekend. Three to love. Bye-bye. Thank you, my friend. And everybody, after the break, we're going to be talking to a former acting commissioner of Customs and Border Protection, Mark Morgan. Guess what? 40,000 migrants waiting on the Mexico side of the border to come in. It's a common sense recap of the big stories. It's Cats and Cosby on 77 WABC. You're commuting home with Cats and Cosby. Now, here's John Katsimatidis and Rita Cosby on 77 WABC. And welcome back to Cats and Cosby. The great John Katsimatidis is off today. Again, TGIF, what a wild and busy week it's been. And if you look at what's going on, of course, at the border, we all know, we've seen the headlines, millions of them are crossing And now there is word that 40,000 migrants are amassing at the border. They are on the Mexico side of the border. They're waiting to cross. It's like the start of a 5K, right? They're all like lined up. and Like the New York Marathon, (laughs) right? Right? Gun goes off and they come running. By the way, Tony, those pictures at the El Paso Bridge look just like it. Well, joining us now to talk about all of this is Mark Morgan. He is the former acting commissioner of Customs and Border Protection. By the way, Mark, we have Judge Richard Weinberg in studio. You just heard from Tony Carbonetti, former chief of staff of Rudy Giuliani. Uh, 
and also former New York Governor David Patterson. You know, Tony, it, it almost looked like, uh, you know, what you it were just talking like. about. It is. What did you think, Mark, when you saw the El Paso Bridge? And now to hear 40,000 migrants are waiting because as soon as this thing lifts, they're going to run like the New York City Marathon, Mark Morgan. Yeah, that's exactly right. And what, what everybody there has been saying is, is absolutely correct. But, Rita, look, I think you and I talked, uh, you know, at least a year ago about this when they first started the conversations about ending Title 42. And this is what we called. This is what we predicted. And then now it's coming to fruition. But I think it's very important to, to, to make this point, though, because there's been a lot of talk about Title 42 and the crisis that's going to soon, et cetera, which is good and we should be. But let's keep in mind, because it's very important to make a distinction that we're already in. The, the, the worst self-inflicted, unmitigated, catastrophic border security crisis in our lifetime. So Title 42 is not going to create a, a crisis. Title 42 is just going to make the crisis worse. It's going to turn you know, a tidal wave into a tsunami. And I think that's a very important point to make. Yeah, you're right. And how well, tsunami is a good description because we have no track of these people. I mean, that's what is so concerning. It is it is frightening when you see the gotaways. These are the ones who aren't even listed, Mark Morgan, as you know. Um, Judge Weinberg, you've got a question for uh, Mark Morgan, former well, acting commissioner well, of Customs commissioner, and Protection. A couple, a couple of points. Number one, even when Title 42 is lifted, there is statutory authority for the president to suspend the immigration laws, as you know. To international emergency, which he could declare. Is that yeah, correct? You're, you're, yeah, you're, you're absolutely right. And so not only are you right, but I'll, I'll, I'll go a step further and say that's exactly what we did in the Trump administration, right? I mean, he declared a national emergency just as you did. And that's one way that we were able to go over to DOD and, and get funds from them to, to do something like build the wall, which, again, was a very critical part of the multi-layer strategy of infrastructure, technology, and personnel to effectively secure our borders. You're absolutely correct. And, and let's keep in mind, so, so th- there's a pragmatic part of when Title 42 ends. What happens is is that then that converts to they're going to have to process everybody under Title VIII. That's the normal immigration law. Title 42, remember, was a public health law. And so to, to be able to remove somebody from Title 42 was expeditiously quicker. Now when it goes to Title VIII, that not only is it going to incentivize more to come, but it's actually going to take longer to process them. So Border Patrol agents are going to be spending more time in facilities they are. So that's going to equate to, uh, again, more agents off the front line. It's going to uh, result, uh, Rita, as you said, is more gotaways. And at the end of the day, that's going to result in more criminals, more drugs, and more potential national security threats pouring across the border, if that's even possible to imagine with respect to what's already happened. And, uh, and Commissioner, there's, there's one more point I wanted to raise with you. I read a very interesting article in the National Review, and they're saying, well, there's an easy solution that the Biden administration is now working on. They're just going to redefine what is a a legal immigrant. So what they do is they define it away and they say, oh, these people aren't illegal immigrants violating our immigration law. They're perfectly legal entrants. What do you say about that? Judge, once again, look, you know your stuff. So you, I couldn't have said it better myself. Don't they tell him that. He, we got to. We got to. <laughs> I'm, I'm looking for a raise. We got to yeah. raise. Don't do that, Mark. Sorry. We got to keep him humble. I'm sorry. You you got to live with him. I don't. So, look, <laughs> so, 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 but he's absolutely correct. That was what I've been saying for a while. They're legalizing otherwise otherwise illegal activity. And I'll give an example: the CBP One app. They're now calling that a legal pathway. But the reality: this is what they've done. They made a deal with the entire world. 
please stop illegally entering and filing false claims. If you do that, we'll let you come up to the border to a lawful port of entry while we continue to look the other way as you file fraudulent claims, and we'll still process and release you. And they've called that a legal pathway. So, Judge, it goes right to your point. I absolutely agree. So how what do we do, Mark, you know, as we're looking at this tsunami, as you describe it, um, with the 40,000 and then as the judge aptly said about, like, you know, making them legal, um, how do we turn this around? I always sit there and I say this to me is one of the most serious border and national security. I mean, this, this to me is the issue. How can we actually have a country that's safe when our borders wide open? And the Biden administration doesn't pay any attention to me. This this is one of the biggest, if not the biggest. We were just talking about this, Tony, national security issues for our country. And we may see repercussions for decades to come. Rita, Tony, I completely agree 100 percent. Again, I couldn't say it better myself. That's why I get so uh, frustrated and so passionate. I know this issue. I know that literally every single day, our nation's safety and national security is being jeopardized. There are literally drugs pointed and killed Americans every single day. Every single day, murderers, rapists, pedophiles, aggravated felons, and gang members are in our borders every single day. Every single day, there are uh, illegal aliens on the FBI's terror screening database coming at our country. Literally, we could have the next sleeper cell already in the United States plan the next terrorist attack. We would have no idea. This is insanity. It, we, look, it's a basic premise of any sovereign nation that we should know who and what is coming to our border and have the ability, capability, and authority to stop bad things and bad people. You're right. The Biden administration has literally turned their back. They've they abdicated their constitutional responsibility under Article 4, Section 4 to protect our nations from threats outside our border. And they're not just turning the back. They're doubling down on their open border policies. And at the end of the day, unfortunately, we need states to continue to step up like the great state of Texas. And at the end of the day, 2024 cannot come fast enough because I don't think anything's going to happen until then. Wow. Pray for our country. Uh, Mark Morgan, thank you very much. We always love having you on, Mark. Thank you. You bet. Thank you so much. And we were just talking about Title 42 being lifted. It was supposedly put in place sort of as a COVID protection. And there's some new studies that say basically, uh, surprise, surprise, maybe masks did not work during COVID to prevent COVID. Joining us now to talk about that, Tony Carbonetti is smiling. Uh, let's bring in Dr. Peter Mihalos, who is our WABC resident genius. Dr. He needs a business card that says that. He that what a great business that who has a title I would like love that. that. If, well, if that was my title, if I'm, we got to make him some business cards. All right, we're getting you business <laughs> cards, Doctor Mihalos. My card says, "Stay away from doctors and operations." That's what it says. <laughs> anyway, what, but, what do you make of this? This is wild stuff. Uh, well, first of all, let's talk historically. When you go to an emergency room for the last hundred years, and if you who wears a mask, the person who has TB or has the flu, they put a mask on you. Not everyone else. What masks do do is the Kobe University study in Japan and the MIT fluidics lab showed that when you cough or sneeze and it's a dry room, the virus, any virus, whether it's cold, COVID, can travel about 26 feet. All that a mask does is that if you cough or sneeze, it limits the projection distance to about three feet. So that's how it does help. So what happens is that if you're wearing all the masks in the world and you're in a room even with an N95 and someone's smoking and you could smell the smoke, that means the virus particles, which are even smaller, will get through. So basically, the masks, when you're in a pandemic, everyone puts them on. Why? Because they feel that if everyone has it on, the people you don't know who have it, it won't transmit as readily. But the reality is that they don't really stop you from getting the virus. And the U.K. did a 
study and they just published it, the health and security, that we have no peer-reviewed literature that says that masks actually block you from getting the virus. So what they do is just act as a basic physical barrier so that if you call for sneeze, it doesn't go and travel as far. So that was interesting. And the other study that came out of the Royal College of Physicians and Surgeons in Dublin, Ireland, showed that there, this disease and this spike protein of COVID is actually a clotting uh, disease. And it, 39 out of a million people get a clot, 17% get pulmonary embolisms. And also in vaccinated people, four out of a million will get uh, a, a clot. Again, the, there is a certain percentage of all vaccines having a problem. So this whole disease is turning out to be a clotting disease. And those who recognized early that it was put people on blood thinners, gave people anti-inflammatories like dexamethasone. Doctors were condemned from doing that early on. But it turns out that that is a very good thing to do. And the other thing is that there are something called lingering viruses, just like Epstein-Barr, people have problems with uh, long-term issues. AIDS, HIV, the HIV virus gives you long-term problems. The uh, uh, other viruses like the hepatitis C virus. So it turns out that COVID may be one of these lingering viruses. And uh, that's why we have this syndrome called long-haul COVID, where people get rapid heart rate, anxiety, uh, brain fog. And 18 million people in the United States are estimated to have it. So they've set up these long-haul centers. The reality is that thank God it's not as lethal as we said in the past. In the past pandemics, viruses learn not to keep killing their hotel human hosts. So they learn to become more contagious because they want to live, but they also learn not to kill their hosts. So that's why, thank God, right now it's not as contagious. But there are uh, outbreaks around the world right now. There's a, a variant called Artakuris that's breaking out in uh, India. But thank God, again, it's not as lethal. You don't see the hospitalizations. But you know, see your doctor if you get COVID, if you have access to get antivirals and some treatment, uh, it helps. And things that we know now, try to lose weight because the thinner you are, yep. the less problems you have and keep your vitamin D levels up. Well, great advice. And uh, and uh, we're all writing that down. You always have the best stuff. Dr. Peter Mihalos, we love you here on Cats at Cosby. Thank you very much. You always have. You, you're going to get that business card. You've earned it. <laughs> thanks very much. And thanks for always getting the truth out and the great job you do at 10 o'clock. I'll be listening tonight after I get back from church. All right. Thank you so much. And joining us now, by the way, we have the former secretary of energy uh, and also uh, the former great governor of Texas, my friend Rick Perry, Secretary Perry. So great to have you here on Cats and Cosby. Uh, thank you. It's awesome to be on. Everything good in your world? Every Everything is great now that you're on with all of us. By the way, we got we got a great full studio here. We have Judge Richard Weinberg. We've got Tony Carbonetti, former chief of staff for Rudy Giuliani, and also our other resident Democrat. We've got New York Governor David Patterson. We've got. Of I'm course- surrounded, Gov. I need help. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, hey, Brother Patterson. I always tell people, I'm 73 years old. In three years, I'll be obviously 76. And I will have spent half of my life as a Democrat and half of my life as a Republican. Now, I'll let you figure out which one of those halves in my life were better. But, uh, <laughs> what do you think, Governor Patterson? Which half? I, I, think his, I think his Republican years were better for him. <laughs> <laughs> He's had some great years. By the way, speaking of Democrat, I can't wait to get your take. Everybody, we're thrilled to have the former Secretary of Energy, Rick Perry, here on Cats and Cosby on this great Friday. Secretary, I... 
I, we had to have you on to talk about all of this stuff coming from the Democratic Biden administration on electric vehicles. Uh, they say they want to have 67 percent of the new car sales by 2032 electric vehicles. I mean, right now it's like five, six percent of the market. How are we ever going to get there? Why should this be shoved down our throats? Why shouldn't it be a choice? Well, exactly right. And, and listen, this administration has shown their great uh, dislike, uh, their great hatred, frankly, of the fossil fuel industry. They blame the fossil fuel industry for uh, practically every ail that we have in this country. Uh, they uh, they genuflect at the altar of the, the environment uh, without ever admitting, without ever talking about all of the really wonderful and good things that fossil fuels has brought to the world. All they want to talk about is emissions. They don't want to talk about there are millions of people around the world, well, probably billions now, who have been brought out of poverty because of the engines that fossil fuels uh, power, whether it's irrigation or whether it's air conditioning or whether it's electrons and, and electricity that give you the uh, uh, your sonogram or, or your incubator. Uh, there is about a, somewhere over a billion people who live in abject poverty. And the Biden administration and their ilk, if you will, they're basically saying to those people, sorry, you're never going to get out of abject poverty. You're going to have to keep burning cow dung to eat your home or for your, you know, to be able to see at night for, to get a meager amount of light and all the particulate matter that comes from that and inhaling it and the shortening of their life. You're just going to, you're going to die early. You're going to die a horrible death. We have our luxuries over here in the United States. We're going to keep them. I'm going to keep flying on my jet to my environmental meetings, but you people over there, you're not going to get that because we believe that fossil fuels uh, are bad and bad for the climate. Uh, it, it's I, I don't know how they sleep at night, to be real honest with you. Maybe they, may, they don't have a conscience is about the only thing. Go, I Governor, it's with. just like the but, people here that want to defund the police, but they don't live in the housing projects where the crime is. Yeah, you're right. It, it's John. the same I mean, concept. You're, you're spot on. It, and, and, and being out of touch you know, the Democrat Party uh, that I belonged to back when I was a, uh, a, a young legislator that my father grew up in, that I was in, engaged in, they, they cared about people. Uh, you know, that I would argue that they were a little out of touch from time to time. Uh, but the Democrat Party from the 1960s even versus this Democrat Party that we have today is vastly different. My grandfather was their, a Democratic district leader in East Harlem. Yeah. And, there's, you know, Italian-American, yeah. they took care of them. Yeah, yeah there's a disconnect between um, the, the Democrats today are somewhat elitist, it seems. It's either elitist or that you will just follow anybody, the lemmings that go off the cliff. But anyways, my, my point is this whole electric car thing is really fascinating. You know, uh, Elon Musk is in Texas. He's going to build uh, electric cars. And we I've recruited Elon to the state of Texas early on with his SpaceX project. And then he came here and he found out, hey, this is a place I want to be. So his boring company's here. Tesla's here now. Uh, he's going to build uh, you know, Tesla City or Musk City, whatever it's going to be called outside of Austin. And I think that's all fine and good. Uh, I'm a great supporter of it. 
if you want to drive an electric car, my son-in-law loves electric cars. He's got a Tesla uh, S type, and he thinks it's the most awesome car in the world. He's in the queue to get a Cybertruck, and that's that's good. But that's free choice, and that's capitalism. And let's keep it that way. Uh, if the market supports it, that's what we will transition to from the standpoint of driving. Uh, the fallacy that we're going to transition from fossil fuels, even by 2050, is just that. It is a, it, it's a, it's a fool's errand, frankly, uh, but it's not going to happen. Fossil fuels are going to be here, and they're going to be here for some time, partly because we've got about a 200-year supply that we know of today with natural gas, and it's clean-burning natural gas, a lot cleaner burning than what the Russians, and, you know, and then there's China. And that's a whole other story of the, the dirty burning coal plants that they've got over in China that they're building this one after another. Well, and that, you, and by the way, that's, about- and that's the other thing. Um, everybody, we're talking to former uh, Secretary of Energy and also former governor of the great state of Texas, Rick Perry. You bring up a great point. We're helping China, by the way, uh, with these uh, policies with the EV because of all the mining, the lithium. Yeah. I mean, I mean, that is the irony of it all. How crazy. Judge Weinberg, you got a quick question there. Governor, I want to say to you, I just don't understand why we've gone from a position of energy independence to energy dependency, and we're building up our enemies. So in terms of the world political stage and world power, we're unilaterally disarming. What do you say about that? Well, you have a White House that is staffed, and I will suggest to you the staff is who really drives that, that White House. I mean, substantially drives that White House. Uh, and you have a staff who is absolutely uh, at the altar of the God of the environment. Uh, that's what drives them. Uh, they 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 believe it with all their heart that that you know we're good because we care about saving the planet. And you are bad if you're having anything to do with impacting the planet. Well. I don't want to live in a world, frankly, that's wild and free from the standpoint of not I, – I want to master this earth. I want to be able to uh, to do things to make the uh, the earth uh, livable. And, and if, 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 you, if you want to go to the extremes of what they're talking about, um, I mean, we're, we're going to have massive uh, – deaths from environmental events. I'll tell you what, everyone, I highly recommend everyone read Alex Epstein's book, Fossil uh, Future. Uh, This is one of the brightest young men I've ever been around. Uh, His book, Fossil Future, talks about uh, taming the environment, and we tame the environment basically uh, in in the last 200 years or last 150 years uh, with fossil fuels and the engines that fossil fuels bring to it. So you ought to have him on, uh, Reed and John. I'm I'm telling you, this kid is incredibly bright. He and I are doing an EarthX event together in Dallas next Friday, the 21st of April. We are uh, are writing it down, by the way. Uh, uh, Secretary Perry, Rick Perry, what a pleasure to have you here. We love you. Thank you so much. you got to come back on again soon. God bless you, and uh, call me back. I'd love to to continue this. We would love it. Thank you so much. We love and appreciate you so much. And everybody, what do we stand for here on Cats and Cosby? Truth, justice, and the American way. Have a great weekend, everybody. We'll talk to you on Monday. 
a common sense recap of the day's biggest stories. It's John Katz and Rita Cosby. Katz and Cosby on 77 WABC.